Say hello. Testing one, two. Uh, good evening, and thank you for, for joining this, e- this evening. Uh, hopefully this will be a blessing for you, and uh, we're thankful that you've asked us to come. Uh, this evening what we have is the pleasure of hearing one of God's true warriors, Corey Tinboom. Most of you know or may know that her family, the Tinbooms, owned a, and operated a tiny watch shop that would later become a refuge for persecuted Jews during World War II. Devout Christians, the Ten Booms, could not ignore God's chosen people. And Corey's most famous work, The Hiding Place, tells of her life and her faith before and during the evil of World War II, including the persecution that she and her family suffered in the German concentration camps. So this evening, she's here with us to share her experiences and her faith. Welcome, Corey. I love to share my journey with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What would you share with us this evening about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, I would share the many great lessons that our Heavenly Father has taught me. And I would share with you the miracle of his power and his protection in any and all circumstances. Well, as Psalms 46, 1 through 2 says, Our Lord is our strength and our refuge, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. And it is true. When I was in the Ravensbrück concentration camp, we would have to stand every morning in the roll call, or sometimes two, three hours, in the icy, bitter cold. And the guards would use that time to torture and beat the prisoners. But one morning, we heard the skylark begin to sing. And we looked up and we listened to his song. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of Psalms 111.3. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so deep is the Lord's love for us and for the people who fear him. And in that moment, God made it very clear to me that his love for me was far greater than all. All of the hate that surrounded me. <laughs> My sister Betsy said of Ravensbrook, There is no pit so deep that our God is not there also. And this is the hope I would share with you today. Corey, we welcome your message of hope. Thank you. What I would like to do is make sure that everybody knows a little bit more about you. Can you share with us a little about your faith and your childhood? And would you move your mic a little bit further away from me? There you go. Is that good? There you go. Ah. Thank you. I was born into a family full of love and hope and faith. Well, I never knew anything else. My parents were devout followers of Jesus Christ. But every morning in the Bayhay, Papa would read from the Bible, and then we would discuss it after breakfast. I'm sorry, what is the Bayhay? 
oh, the Beihei is, is our house, our home. Oh, of course, that wonderful house with all its secrets. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, how did the hiding place for the Jews come to be? Well, it was when my aunts come to live with us. Papa bought the house behind us, and then he enclosed the alleyway in such a way that we had a much larger house and many more rooms. But the houses were not on the same levels, and so we had a maze of different levels and, and twists and turns. But our Heavenly Father knew what he was doing, because years later, those would provide the perfect hiding place for his precious people, the Jews. Well, what more could you share with us about your family? Well, my mama ministered to the people in the neighborhood. Oh, she was always taking food or, or going in to sit with someone who was ill. And Papa was a kind of a community leader. Oh, people were always coming by the watch shop and asking him for advice. Well, or even for financial help, oh, and they were never turned away. Oh, and there were four of us. I was the youngest. There was Betsy and Willem and Nolly and me. Do you remember when you first came to know Jesus as your Savior? I was five years old when I asked Jesus into my heart. <laughs> oh, and there was a street behind us called the Smetestrat, and it was full of pubs, and people were always drinking. And Mama said that every prayer I ended, I would say, and Lord, please convert all the people on the Smetestrat. <laughs> well, from having read The Hiding Place, I know your family was very influential in shaping your faith. Oh, yes. What memories can you share with us to help us understand how your family impacted your life? Oh, there are so many memories. And I know now that those memories are keys not to the past, but to the future. When I was a very, very little girl, Mama took Nolly and me with her to the house of a family who had just lost their infant child. Oh, there was such sadness in that one-room little house. And Mama went directly for the mother. But I saw the crib and that tiny, unmoving baby. And then my heart began to thump against my chest because my sister, Nolly, who was always much braver than me, reached out her hand and touched that little baby's ivory cheek. And, oh, I was so curious, and, and I wanted to touch that baby so badly. So finally I reached out the little finger and I touched her little hand and it was cold. It was so cold. And I thought, well, this is death. If this baby can die, then a mama could die, or papa, or even Betsy. And that night when papa came to tuck me in, I cried out, I need you, I need you, you cannot die. And my sweet papa, he sat down on the bed beside me, and he said, Corey, when we go to Amsterdam on the train, when do I give you your ticket? And I said, well, just before I get on, Papa. And he said, exactly. And the Heavenly Father is going to know when you need things too, Corey. Don't run out ahead of him. If one of us should die, 
He will give you the courage you need just in time. And it is true. Is your papa right about finding your strength when your family members die? Well, I was all alone in the first prison in solitary confinement. And I received the letter from Nolly telling me that Papa had died in the prison that day. And it was God who carried me through that. And when I lost Betsy in Ravensbrook, it was the tender mercies of Jesus that held me up. I remember walking to see her body. And I just stopped when I saw her and I stood transfixed. I was looking at the Betsy of heaven. And I thought, oh, Jesus, what have you given me? What have you done? Oh, her face was full. There were no more lines, no more worries, no grief. She was free. What a gift God gave oh, you. Oh, yes. He surely gave you the strength that your papa had been talking about. Yes, he did. Are there other memories that God used to reveal spiritual truths to you? Well, this one is a good one because, again, it shows the things that my papa would teach me. When I was nine or ten, I heard the word sex sin in the poem. And I was very curious about what it meant. So I asked Mama, but Mama just blushed and turned away. She would not tell me. But I knew Papa would tell me. So the next time we were on the train from Amsterdam, I asked him. Well, he didn't say a word. He just turned and he looked at me. And then he stood up and he got his traveling case down and he set it before me. And he said, will you carry it for me, Corey? Well, I, I tried. I, I tried to drag it, but it was full of all the watches and all the watch parts we had bought that day. And I finally said, it is too heavy. And he said, of course it is. And it would be a pretty poor father that would ask his little girl to carry such a heavy load. And Corey, it is the same way with knowledge. There is some knowledge that is too heavy for you to carry, and you will just have to let your papa carry it for you until you are able. And now I know that when I faced fears, I could give that fear to my heavenly father. And he would carry it for me and prepare me for whatever I was going to face. I remember reading you had some very frightening moments when you were first being investigated about hiding the Jews. Can you share some of those stories about how God took your fears and helped you to overcome them? Well, my first interrogator was Lieutenant Ron. And one day he was asking me about our work back at home. And, well, I was trying to evade the question but still answer truthfully. And so I said, oh, you mean my work with the mentally challenged children? And, oh, his eyebrows shot up and he shouted, what a waste of time and energy. Surely one normal convert is worth all the half-wits in the world. And I realized that I was listening to the true nationalist socialist philosophy. 
And then, to my utter astonishment, I heard my own voice saying, Well, you know in the Bible, God teaches us that he loves us simply because he made us, not because of our our strength or our brain. I mean, perhaps a half-wit is worth far more than, than, well, a simple watchmaker or even a lieutenant. He stood up and he shouted for the guard, and I thought, oh, Corey, what have you done? And all the way back to my cell, I was terrified. And I was terrified much of the night. But the next morning, he wanted to know more about this Bible. And he wanted to ask me about all that I had told him. But one day, he asked me a question that I did not yet have the knowledge to answer. He said, how can you believe now? How can you believe in a God like that that would let an old man die all alone in the prison? And I thought about my papa's traveling face. And I knew that God would carry that for me until I was able to understand and so I could leave it safely in the Lord's hands. So is this allowing God to carry fear and other burdens, what you meant when you were talking about Memories being a key to the future? Oh, yes. God, he weaves our lives together in such a way that our experiences, if we allow God to use them, become the miraculous preparation for the work he has for us to do. Well, clearly God gave you the experience that you needed to to do the work that you're doing now. And your father's words and examples are significant in preparing you. Can you share more about your papa? Of course. When I was a very young woman, I fell in love with a young man, Carl. But Carl did not return my love. Oh, I don't know how long I cried. But I knew that I had lost my one love and that there would never be another. And then I heard Papa's footsteps coming up the stairs, and his sweet cigar smell entered the room. And he said, Corey, love is the strongest force in the world. And when it is blocked, there is pain. Now, there are two things we can do with this love. We can kill it. But then we destroy a part of ourselves. Or we can ask our Father in heaven to give that love another route to follow. He said, God loves Carl far more than even you do. And when we cannot love in the old, normal way, God will give us a new way. And then I heard Papa's footsteps going back down the stairs. And I said this little prayer. I said, Father, I give to you my feelings about Carl. And I give to you my thoughts about our future. And Lord, I ask you to help me to see Carl the way that you do and to care for Carl the way that you do. And then I fell asleep. Praise the Lord. You used the word prepare earlier. How did your papa's words about love prepare you for later circumstances? Well, I understood that love is the strongest force, even in the Ravensbrook. 
One day after the war, I was speaking. And when I finished, a man came up to me and he put his hand out to me. But I had already recognized him. He was one of the most vicious guards in Ravensbrück. He had forced Betsy and me to undress in front of the other guards. And there was hate pounding in my heart, and it was cold and heavy. And I could not reach out to him. And still, he had his hand out, and he was speaking, and he was asking for my forgiveness. And I said, Lord... I cannot. I cannot. This is just too much, Lord. And still his hand was stretched out. But so great was my hate, I could not move. And then the Lord whispered to me, You cannot, Corey, but I can. Give me the hate, and I will give you the love and the forgiveness. I struggled for a moment and then I reached out my hand and immediately my heart melted and tears came to my eyes and I was able to say you are forgiven dear brother God's love is so powerful and so strong that it can change us you know in the beautiful book of John Jesus commands us to love one another. And he tells us that the greatest life we can share to another is to lay down our lives for them. Jesus laid down his life for us because he loves us so much. Praise God. Yes. Praise the Lord. Corey, you and your family shared the love of Christ with with the Jews. Not everybody could find the courage to do that. This is true. Was there ever a time, do you remember, when someone was unwilling to help? Oh, yes. But, you know, the one I remember the most was a pastor. Well, one day the doorbell rang, and we opened the door, and there stood a young mother and her little baby. Oh, and the baby was crying. Well, not loudly, weakly, but still I thought, how can we hide this little one here in the middle of town with all these people passing back and forth, and she does not know to be quiet. But the next morning, there stood a clergyman that we knew in the door of the watch shop. And I thought, oh, yes, he has a house out in the country, far off from the road, and he will be able to hide the mother and the baby. But when I showed him that little one, he backed up and he said, Oh, no, no, we could lose our lives for that little Jewish child. Well, neither of us knew it, but Papa was standing in the dining room door. He said, Corey, you give that baby to me. So I gave him to her, to her to him, and he lifted her up and he nestled her against his white whiskers, and then he looked at that pastor, and he said, you say we could lose our lives for this little one here? Then I say to you, that is the greatest honor that could ever befall this family. And that poor pastor simply turned and walked out the watch shop door. I can't imagine what that pastor must have felt as he left. Did you ever consider the risk involved in what you were doing? Oh, yes. But 
God had shown us that risk before we ever decided to hide in the of the Jews. It was the night we were being bombed and the Germans were invading our precious Holland. And Betsy and I were on our knees praying. And I had a dream. Only it was not a dream. It was a vision from God. And I was looking at the street in front of the bay. And I could see this large wooden wagon being pulled by horses. And I was on that wagon. And Papa was on the wagon and Emily and Willem. Did I say Emily? I'm sorry. Betsy was on that wagon. And I was terrified because I knew we were going someplace we did not want to go. And the wagon began to pull across the square and we knew we could not get off. And just as suddenly as the vision had come, it was gone. Oh, but my heart was beating, and I was terrified. So, as usual, I told my Betsy, and I will never forget her wise, comforting, and very practical words. She said, well, if there are going to be bad times ahead, it is enough for me that he knows about it. You know, he shares these things with us sometimes to let us know that this, too, is in his hands. And the safest place we can be is in the very center of his will. And you know, when we were arrested two years later, the vision came through exactly as God had shown it to me. He prepared me. Betsy was a big influence in your life, wasn't she, Corey? Yes. Betsy... Her love and her faith for God, well, it shamed me and humbled me. Oh, there were so many times in Ravensbrook that it, it was Betsy's faith that lifted me up and continued to give me hope. At one day, well, there was a particularly vicious female guard that we had all nicknamed the snake. <laughs> and she began to beat Betsy. I don't remember why, but she was beating her savagely. And watching my beautiful, gentle sister be so abused. Oh, I wanted to strike out. I wanted to hit her. And so I started toward the arrogant, vicious guard. And Betsy stopped me. And she said, oh, Corey, don't hate. Never hate. She was constantly forgiving the people who were abusing us. She was worried for the Germans because she knew they were destroying themselves with their hate and their total surrender to evil. She often told me that she wanted to take one of the concentration camps after the war and turn it into a place of healing for the very people that were abusing us. She said, oh, we will have window boxes at every window, and there will be no more barbed wire. And we will paint it something bright, like, like yellow or green, like things coming up in the spring. And two years after the war, Betsy's dream came through. Hmm. She must have been a wonderful woman. Betsy was most wonderful. What other qualities about her could you share with us? <laughs> well... 
Her ability to find the good in every situation and to be content could rival Paul. She amazed me, astonished me. And when we first got to Ravensburg, we were all huddled into barracks 28, and we were sleeping five women to one wooden bunk. And, and oh, we were fighting the bites of the fleas and the lice. And one day I was in my usual disgruntled spirits, and I heard Betsy pray. And Lord, we thank you for the fleas. I thought, well, this is too much. And I said, Betsy, not even God can make me say thank you for a flea. <laughs> and she said, oh, but he tells us in all circumstances to give praise, not just the pleasant ones. And these fleas are in this place where he has put us. So we gave thanks for the fleas. <laughs> but several days later, we discovered that. The guards would not come into barracks 28 because of those fleas. And so because of those fleas, every night we were able to have a Bible study and a prayer meeting. (laughs) So even in the midst of all this pain and fear and grief, Betsy found a way to share the gospel and glorify God. Amen. She was amazing. Amen. Must have been a terrible blow to lose her. I know it still hurts, but could you describe to us Betsy's death? Well, Betsy was always ill as a child anyway, and she had reached a point now in Ravensbrück that she could no longer walk. So a Dutch friend and I had been carrying her every morning to Doroko. But on this particular morning, the snake was at the door. And she told me to take Betsy back to her bunk. Well, I still had to go to the roll call. But when I got back, the snake was in the barracks supervising Betsy being moved from her bunk to a cot to be taken to the infirmary. And I thought, she dared the fleas and the lice. She let Betsy miss the roll call. And it came to me that Betsy's kindness to everyone and the gentle warmth she had created in that barracks had somehow touched even the snake. Well, Betsy had been telling me for weeks that we would be released before the new year. And she was. She was going to be with Mama and Papa, and Jesus. And I, too, was released a few years, a few weeks later. I was not afraid when Betsy died, even though I was looking into the valley of the shadow of death. I was not afraid. It is here that Jesus comes the closest to us. And God gave Betsy the vision for what I am doing today, sharing his love and his message and his hope all over the world. You and Betsy faced some very frightening situations together. I understand in your travels to tell people the truth of what you you learned, that uh, you still encounter risk and danger. 
How do you handle the fear, Corey? Well, I try very much to remember that even if I am in the panic, God is not. He knows the plans. You know, in Psalms 27, 1, the Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? To stand beside him, to follow him, to be hidden in him, in God, is the strongest and best place any child of Christ can be. Close to God. So do you believe that God works miracles to protect us and to fulfill his purposes? Oh, yes. My being here to speak with you is a miracle. (laughs) One week after I was released from Ravensbrook, all of the women my age were killed. Well, later we learned that I had been released by some sort of clerical error. (laughs) Clerical error indeed. It was the work because he had a purpose in my living and it was to share his gospel message. So you believe God intervened in your release? Oh, most definitely, yes. Are there other miracles like that that you could share with us? Oh, so many. I will tell you one that I think is most mighty. I was in Africa, in the Congo, in the middle of a rebellion. I was with the missionary children in a school where they went. There were some 200 children and their teachers. And there were about oh, several hundred rebels advancing upon the school to attack it. Well, we only had two soldiers and a little fence. And so we all gathered together and we began to pray, waiting for this attack. Well, it never came. We suddenly saw all of the rebels turn and run away. And so several days later, one of the young rebels was injured. And he was brought to the mission hospital. And the doctor who was dressing his wound asked him, Why did you not attack the school as you had planned to do? And he said, Oh, we could not. We were afraid. There were hundreds and hundreds of soldiers marching around the school in fight uniforms. No one in the Congo wears white uniforms. So who were these soldiers? They were God's angels. God had opened the eyes of his enemies so they could see they could see the power and the protection of him. Well, just as hundreds and hundreds of years ago, God opened the eyes of Elijah's servant. So he could see the power coming toward him and then see when God blinded them. Elijah wanted his servant to understand the power of the God of Israel. And God wants us to understand that power today. Yes, our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yes, he is. So what is your message for today, Corey? It seems that every day the violence and the noise around us makes it so much harder to to hear our Heavenly Father's voice. What do we do when evil and Satan is in charge? Well, I try very hard to remember Betsy's words. The safest place we can be is in the center of God's will. Which 
is why I ended up in Argentina in a hospital in the middle of the polio ward. And that is a whole other story I would like to tell sometime. There was a boy there. And he was very, very ill. He could no longer talk. He was writing on a tablet. Oh, and he was a Jewish, much to my delight. So I told him my story, and I told him about my Jesus. Oh, and then I showed him this embroidery that I carry around because it shows us how we see our world, but how God sees us. And I showed him the underside first. Pardon me. And I said, see, to you, your world is all knotted and tangled, and there is no clear pattern or purpose. But when you turn it around, you see that God has a clear plan and purpose. It is a perfect crown, fit for a king. And he wrote on his tablet, thank God I am seeing the beautiful side now. Then he, he died that night. But the last thing he wrote on his tablet was, for the first time I pray in Jesus' name. So you see, no matter how knotted or tangled or frightened our lives may seem, God is busy working on our crowns. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so you would say that we have to remember that God has a plan for all of us when it just seems like total chaos around us. Oh, yes. We must trust an unknown future to a known God. We are to live the victorious life. But how are we to live this victorious life, Corey? Well, first of all, I would remind all of us that we are living in the middle of a great spiritual battle. And the enemy is still prowling around wanting to catch us or to harm us. We are called to stay in this word. This word is the sword of the spirit. God's voice from this word is the greatest weapon we have against the spiritual battles that we will all face. So we must stay in this word. But how do we have the courage to speak boldly? When so many people are so easily up. Did Paul not speak boldly? Yes. Did Jesus not be speak boldly? Yes. Said then, we must speak boldly. The truth will set us free. And we are in desperate need of the truth in this world today. When I was in California a long time ago speaking, a young theological student came up to me after I spoke, and he scolded me for talking about the second coming of Jesus. He said, oh, people have been prophesying the second coming of Jesus for years, and he has not returned, and he is not going to return. It is utter foolishness. Well, I looked at him and his arrogance and his smugness, and, and I felt sorry for him. But I said to him, Jesus is young man, and you have just proved it. Well, he sputtered around a little, and he said, well, how did I prove it? And I said, because in Second Peter 3, 3, 4, it says, in the last day, scoffers will come. 
<laughs> scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, well, where is this coming he has prophesied? Though you see, young man, you are a sign that he is coming. Oh, we must be bold. Regardless of any uh, political correctness. God is not political. God is the great I am. Yes? Uh I'm afraid not all of us are as brave as you are, Corey. Oh, but you must understand I am not brave. I am nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks to the Spirit and gives me the courage I need just in time. And he will do the same for you. Well, and let me tell you a story of when this was a special group. I was speaking in a large communist city. And all the pastors there were so concerned for all the lost people. But when I would speak, they would simply sit like they were shackled to their seats. And their faces would be stone-faced, and they would be unmoving. And every night I would go back to my little room, and and I would be so heavy-hearted because I could not reach these people. So I continued to pray and to pray. And then God revealed his word to me. And he said, They shall cast out demons in my name. And I thought, oh, Lord, you don't mean for me to speak this over such a large crowd of people. Oh, Lord, it is forbidden by law to even speak such things. And he said, obey me. So that night when I began to speak, I could sense the Lord calling me to obey him. But I was so frightened, I was literally trembling. But I knew that I had to obey my Lord. And so finally, I took a deep breath, and I closed my eyes, and I said, In Jesus' name, all of the dark spirits in this place are keeping the blessings of Jesus from coming to this place. You go to the place where God sends you. And Lord, I pray the power and the protection of your blood over us. And then I And I saw the miracle. The people were moving and talking to each other. They were rejoicing. And they were listening eagerly to the words of the Lord as I was giving unto them. You see, God knew the plans. (laughs) Just as he knew the plans in Ravensbrook. Now, I want you to listen very, very closely. I was in a place where one of the most evil evils of all time was totally and completely in charge, where this Bible was called a book of lies. But God provided a Bible. And because of those fleas, we were able to have that prayer meeting and that Bible study Every night in the very center of Satan's domain. Praise God. Praise the Lord, yes. We'll need to close our interview, but do you have a favorite story before we end that you would like to tell us? 
<laughs> I have a fun one that where God shows he has a sense of humor. I was in Cuba in a girls' boarding school. And after dinner, I asked if I might speak with the girls. And I was told, five minutes only, they must do their homework for tomorrow. So I began to speak. And after about three or four minutes, all of the lights suddenly went out. And do you know that I was able to tell those little girls about the love of Jesus and the joy he wished for them for one full hour? And when the light suddenly came back up, a little girl ran over to me, and she put her arms around my neck, and she said, I think Jesus broke the light so you could tell us all about him. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes Jesus has to break the light so we can listen to him. Sometimes it is only in the darkness without earthly distractions that we can truly focus on God. And do you know what focusing on God shows us? That God has no problems. There's no panic in heaven. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Corey, for sharing your faith and your life with us today. If you would join me in prayer briefly, uh, we'll thank the Heavenly Father above for Corey Tinboom and for all she meant to us. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the life and the ministry of Corey Tinboom. We thank you for giving her the faith and the strength to share her love and power and your power throughout her life and for the example she has been to so many of us. We thank you that you are powerful and that you are loving and that out of your glorious riches you strengthen us through your Holy Spirit. We ask you to fill us with that spirit and we ask for your power and your love today so that we can share it throughout the world. Today and every day, may we walk in the spirit of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' most holy and precious name, amen.